The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live. I'm Jillian Berman, a MarketWatch reporter and editor, and today we're talking about student loans. Uh, joining me, we have a, a real expert on this topic, Betsy Mayotte, uh, and she's the founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you, Jillian. I'm really happy to be here. You know I love talking about student loans. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks so much for doing this, especially right now when there's you know a lot of uncertainty on this topic. Um, so one thing that I'm sure is on everybody's mind is the question of broad-based debt forgiveness. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know sort of what the latest is in that discussion right now? Yeah. So I just want to say, if I had a nickel for every time I got asked a question about whether there was going to be broad student loan forgiveness, I would probably be able to give everyone broad student loan forgiveness. Um, you know, I mean, at this stage of the game, the chatter we're hearing is around the same as what we've been hearing for the last couple months. The sense is, is that President Biden um, probably will do some sort of broad forgiveness. Um, we're still hearing around, um, you know, 10 grand per borrower may or may not be based on income. We were pretty certain it was going to be based on income a couple of weeks ago, but some new chatter indicates they might be rethinking that. Um, so from that standpoint, we, we just sort of don't know. It's a wait and see. As far as the timing goes of, you know, when he would announce it, again, we don't know. He made a promise that he would announce by August 31st. But of course, he's allowed to change his mind. Uh, there's a lot of political and legal and economic aspects to this decision. So uh, I'm about 50-50 whether we'll hear about it by August 31st or not. The other thing we are hearing, and it's a question I get a lot, is if he does do it, what loans will it include and what loans won't it include? I think we can be really confident, like 99.999% confident that it will not include private loans. Um, what we're hearing from a federal student loan standpoint most lately is that it would include all federal student loans. So whether you had graduate loans or undergraduate uh, parent plus loans, or whether they were the old federal fell loans or the current direct loans, we're hearing that any broad-based forgiveness that may be done would include those. But again, this is at this point, speculation, rumor, and innuendo. <laughs> right. Okay. And so given that it's um, speculation, rumor, and innuendo, and, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen, but, you know, we're sort of hearing some chatter. How should borrowers take this information into account as they, um, you know, sort of plan their finances? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, you know, I think anybody that owes over 10000 you know, I would, whatever you're doing now, I probably would keep doing. Uh, hopefully you're taking advantage of the 0% interest rate that about 85% of federal student loan borrowers have been enjoying since March of 2020. Uh, if you have close to 10 grand or under that, and I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth, I would actually hold off on paying. Um, maybe pretend to pay 
and put it in an interest-bearing account um, until we get the announcement. Because there's well, one thing we, we do know is there isn't going to be any refunds. So if you were to pay your loan off and come to find out they do do broad forgiveness and you might have been eligible for some or all of it, you're not going to get your money back. So um, I wouldn't slow down on your payment strategy. But again, if you owe 10 grand or less, maybe consider putting that money into an interest bearing account until we, till we hear what's going on. And then what about, um, you know, people who are uh, getting ready to go to college and getting ready to take out loans, you know, how should they think about this kind of announcement? I wouldn't be thinking about this kind of announcement if I was someone just about to go into school. Um, first of all, you should never, ever borrow anticipating loan forgiveness in any climate, in any situation. Number two, um, I'm almost certain that they will put some sort of trigger event date on this to prevent people from borrowing just because they think it's going to get forgiven. Um, so, for example, it could say they could say for loans made on or before I'm making up a date, June 1st of 2022. That's who's potentially eligible. I would be shocked if they didn't do that and included loans that people are applying for right now. So you should, if you don't need to borrow it, don't. Uh, if you're thinking about increasing what you were going to borrow because it could get forgiven, don't. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense and is, is great advice. Um, and then, so now onto another topic that uh, I'm sure is also occupying a lot of mental energy for student loan borrowers, um, the payment pause. So it's set to expire um, on August 31st, but you know, what is, what's the latest we're hearing on that? Oh Lord. Um, we keep thinking it's going to be today. Well, it wasn't today. It's got to be tomorrow. Um, we're what 12 days away. Yes. About 12 days like away. that. Uh, it's, but that's bananas. Um, you know, this announcement from my understanding is coming from the white house, not the department of education. Um, you know, there's some, speculation that they delayed it waiting for the climate bill to get, get signed. Now he's on vacation in Delaware. It doesn't mean he can't announce it while he's on vacation, but I'm not hearing, I'm not getting a sense that today is the day. Uh, but I also wouldn't be shocked if today was the day they, they have to announce any minute. Um, but the bottom line is everyone in the industry is, about as sure as you can be that there is going to be an extension on the pod. So the big question is more, it's not if there's going to be one, but how long is it going to be? And a lot of people are thinking January at this point, but again, this is a wait and see. We'll have to, we'll have to see what they, what they come out with. Yeah. And, and this is maybe kind of a two-part question, but let's start with until they make you know, whatever announcement they're going to make, what should borrowers be doing to, you know, just make sure they're staying on top of, loans. Well, so there's a lot's gone on in the last two years. Um, not the least being that some of the servicers have decided to take their toys and go home. And we've got <laughs> some new servicers out there. So it's entirely possible that your loans aren't where you think they are. So the first thing that everybody should do, regardless of whether they extend the pause or not, is go to studentaid.gov, uh, log into their account, uh, that's the Department of Education website, by the way, and see who's holding their loans. And then even if it hasn't changed, contact their loan servicer and make sure their loan servicer has their most up-to-date 
contact information, email, snail mail, owl, if that's what you use. Um, and then more importantly, open all the things going forward. Um, I am just as guilty as everybody else is maybe letting the mail pile up because I pay all my bills online and, and, and so on. But if you have student loans, there is so much going on, um, various waivers, when payments are going to be due, how much that payment's going to be, that it's super important that you get it back in the habit of opening all your student loan mail. And finally, you should take a look at what your payment was before the pause, um, because that's what your payment is probably going to be when the pause is over, whether that's next month, which is, again, very unlikely, or after the first of the year, which is more likely. Can you still afford that payment? If you can't, you should, now's a great time to sit down, grab a cup of coffee and do your research over what your different payment options are and use the various tools that are out there to figure out which one best fits your long-term student loan strategy. Got it. And do you think, I mean, it, these, do these tips, these tips presumably all apply if, um, if the pause gets extended, like we think, um, like we think it might, you know, anything else, let's say they make an announcement, they're extending it, anything else borrowers should be doing, you know, during whatever extra time they get. Yeah. So, you know, again, you're, you're getting a 0% interest rate, which is amazing and unprecedented and you should be taking advantage of it. And for different consumers, taking advantage of that means different things. If you have other high interest debt, high interest credit card debt, for example, medical debt, take advantage of this time to pay that down. Um, build up your emergency fund. Once all those ducks are in a row, I would be looking to, you know, unless you're pursuing like public service loan forgiveness, where the name of the game is paying the least amount you can, uh, for most people that aren't going to get aren't going to get forgiveness under any of the regular forgiveness plans, they should be utilizing this period to try to pay down as much as they can. But I would actually advise you. So again, 0% interest. I would, again, instead of making the payments directly to the loan servicer, put the money into some sort of interest bearing account, earn a little money on it and plan to send it as a lump sum right before the pause ends. That way you're earning a little money on your money. You're, you're getting yourself back in the habit of making the payments. You have the opportunity to really pay the loan down and save yourself money in the long run. And there's no harm, no foul, because there's no interest accruing on the federal loans in the meantime. Yeah, good to know. And so, um, first of all, I'm, I'd love to remind everybody to submit questions, but we are already getting a lot. So we will turn to those um, very soon. Um, but, you know, in addition to these, these kind of more you know, these huge headline grabbing announcements. Um, there have been some other, you know, announced changes to the to the student loan program over the past, I don't know, year and a half. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about the, you know, sort of how the approach to student, student loans has changed um, since, you know, since the Obama administration. Wow. So Jillian, listen, I mean, you, you know, um, we've known each other a while. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I've been in this industry since, the earth was round. <laughs> uh, yes. And in in my and I've researched student loan statute and regulations and policy back to the 70s. And I can tell you easily that the last 2 years are beyond anything anybody would have expected to happen in the student loan industry 
and just really remarkable, especially how the current administration is taking advantage of a, of a, a terrible thing, which is the COVID pandemic, and using that opportunity to help especially the most vulnerable student loan borrowers out there. And here's what I mean. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners understand that the president, the president of the United States and the secretary of education, they actually, in most cases, don't have the authority to do anything that's in violation or contrary to federal law. And most of the rules that people love to hate about student loans, such as the interest rate, such as some of the rules around public service loan forgiveness, for example, such as um, the rules that were in place for borrowers that were defrauded by their schools or the rules that were in place for borrowers that are permanently disabled. Most of those live in federal law. And because of the pandemic and the national emergency uh, that was created because of the pandemic, that actually is a little window of opportunity where the president of the United States in some cases can do things temporarily that are contrary to federal statute. And I will say that President Biden took advantage of that and the current team at the uh, Department of Education is utilizing this time to make some really significant and impactful changes. For example, we saw them get rid of the three-year monitoring period that was in place for people um, getting their loans discharged for disability. That three-year monitoring period ended up getting more than half of people that were eligible for discharge getting kicked out in the past. So they used the pandemic to temporarily get rid of that. And then they're using other processes to make that permanent. Public service loan forgiveness has been the big news item. Uh, they're utilizing the pandemic to do a temporary waiver for a lot of the rules for public service loan forgiveness to give people the opportunity that may not have been aware of PSLF or may have been misled or misunderstood the, the traditional PSLF rules, the sort of a second opportunity to get a do-over. Um, I've seen people who never thought they'd ever qualify for PSLF get forgiveness right away because of their past history and because of this waiver. Um, borrower defense. We saw under the prior administration that not only were they not assisting uh, students that had been defrauded by their colleges and universities, they were actually holding up existing rules that would have provided them relief. We just saw this week one of several situations where the administration announced they were doing broad forgiveness for students that had been defrauded by ITT Tech. And they've done that a few times and they're moving forward with those rules. So I could go on for the rest <laughs> of our segment. Um, but you know, the short, I guess the short answer, maybe that's what you wanted in the first place, um, <laughs> is that they're doing a lot of awesome, unprecedented stuff that in particular is targeting and positively impacting some of the most vulnerable student loan borrowers. Great. Okay. So actually let's, let's start turning to questions because we got a lot coming in. Um, and so I think maybe one, um, one topic that I'd love you to dig into a little bit more because a lot of the questions are related to this, um, is public service loan forgiveness. So we have a lot of people coming through asking, um, I work for a university. Does that qualify? I work for an NGO, an international NGO. Does that qualify? I am a, I am a childcare provider. Um, does that qualify? So can you just like talk through a little bit, um, you know, what typically qualifies, who typically qualifies for this, um, and maybe, you know, get into 
some of what what the waiver addressed and what it didn't address. Yeah. So listen, in this forum, I'm only going to be able to do like a 10,000 foot level yes. uh, to it. So I do want to make sure that we give people some resources before we're done of where they can go get all the if, ands, buts, or maybes and get their questions answered. So let's not forget for me to do that. Um, but so 10,000 foot level. In general, for public service loan forgiveness, uh, a federal student loan borrower has to make 120 eligible payments, which in general is one made under a, a payment plan that's based on their income. That's not the entirety of it, but again, we're just doing 10,000 foot. Um, on an eligible loan, which under traditional public service loan forgiveness rules is a direct loan, any direct loan, by the way, including Parent Plus, um, while working for an eligible employer. Uh, full-time for an eligible employer. Now, an eligible employer, uh, by the way, that's one of the big myths about PSLF. It doesn't matter what you do for a living at all. What matters is who you work for. So if you work for a government employer, whether that be federal, state, local, tribal, you work full-time for a government employer, you are working for a PSLF eligible employer. Uh, 501c3 nonprofits, also a PSLF eligible, full stop. There are also some other non-501c3 nonprofits that can be eligible in certain circumstances, uh, mainly if their primary reason for being is one of about a dozen areas of public service um, that are listed on the Department of Education's website and our website. Now, what the waiver does... Uh, the waiver does a bunch of stuff. Um, number the So the definition of eligible employment is one thing that doesn't change um, under the waiver. But almost everything else does. So under the waiver, they're counting any period that you were in repayment um, as long as you were working full-time for an eligible employer. It doesn't matter what payment plan you were on. It doesn't matter if the payment was late. It doesn't matter if the payment was short doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of loan you made the payment on as long as you made it on a federal loan. So payments made on Perkins loans, they're counting. Payments made on Fell loans are counting. Which, you know, again, that's a great example of something that's not allowed under statute. But it's also the reason why the waiver is temporary and has a very hard stop of October 31st. Now, you don't have to be at 120 by 1031 to qualify. You just have to sort of like raise your hand, so to speak, uh, to make sure they count these normally non-qualified payments for you under PSLF. The other thing the waiver does, excuse me for a second. <coughs> I get so excited. I get choked up over <laughs> there. Um, the other thing the waiver does, uh, which is amazing, is normally if you consolidate your, your loans, your federal student loans, if you had any PSLF or income-driven plan counts already under your belt, if you consolidated, it would reset your count to zero. Um, in fact, the consolidation application still says that. But under the waiver and under the waiver only, um, if you consolidate or submit an application for consolidation before 1031, not only will your PSLF count not reset to zero, they'll make a point of going back and counting any PSLF eligible payments made prior to that consolidation, including payments made on the FEL, including payments made on Perkins. Really, the only repayment period that doesn't count is if you were in default. So there's a lot more to this. I just covered, because of time, 
Um, I just covered sort of the big ticket items. Um, if people want more information, I recommend they go to studentaid.gov and do a search for PSLF waiver. Actually, yesterday, the White House um, published a brand new PSLF website called PSLF.gov. Um, you can check that out as well. And shameless plug, but not ashamed. Uh, yeah. Our website, I would like to think, is comprehensive and in plain English. And we actually have a document with a ton of FAQs on it. And that website is freestudentloanadvice.org. Um, and then if people have questions after that, they can go to our contact page and email the TISLA email, not the Betsy email, because it might get lost in the shuffle. But if you email the TISLA email, um, we answer people's questions for free. But before you send your question, absolutely check out the webpage because in all likelihood, it's probably answered there. Yeah. And I, I will also say Betsy's website's a great resource. Um, and uh, we have some stuff on MarketWatch and definitely check out the Department of Education's website. It's, you know, there's a lot of info out there, but hopefully if you, um, you know, if you can take the time to sit down and go through it, it might be helpful. And then if not, um, email Betsy's organization with questions. Um, they're answering them all the time. Uh, okay. Let's, let's answer some more questions. Um, so, um, oh, and Betsy, if you can do us a favor and just type, you know, maybe put those links in, in the chat before the end of the call. Um, that would be great, just so people have them. Um, but let's, let's get to another question that I know um, we, we wanted to discuss, and that's also come from the audience, uh, which is, um, you know, what's up with What's up with Fresh Start? Um, there was a little bit of news, you know, surrounding that yesterday. Um, but if you can just, you know, share a little bit about what Fresh Start is, um, and you know what, and and who qualifies, and what people might have to do to take advantage. Good thing. First of all, if you're checking the links, I typed my own website in incorrectly the, the first <laughs> time. I got it right the second time. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, it's freestudentloanadvice.org, not Ferrer studentloanadvice.org. Right. <laughs> uh, so I'm so glad you brought that up because when I was listing out my favorite initiatives during COVID, I didn't mention that one. So I'm glad you did. So another really amazing thing that this administration is doing, um, which they really only have the ability to do because of the pandemic is what they were calling Operation Fresh Start. They've dropped the operation part of it, but it's still <laughs> called Fresh Start. So essentially any federal student loan again, whether it's fell or direct, um, that's in default, is going to have the opportunity to get out of default without having to either consolidate or go through the nine-month loan rehabilitation program. So uh, it's going to be an opt-in. Uh, if the borrower wants to take advantage of it, they're they'll, there'll be some outreach or they can reach out to their whoever their collection agency is. Uh, they'll be asked to sign a form uh, they'll be asked to get um, on and they'll get help with this, a long-term repayment plan to make sure that they're able to afford the payments and not default again afterwards. The default line is going to be removed from their credit report like it was never there, which is amazing. Uh, but again, they'll be able to get their loans taken out of default pretty much immediately. Um, earlier this week, the Department of Ed actually issued guidance to colleges and universities so one of the um, consequences of federal loan default is that you're not eligible for any other federal aid. Um, so you have to resolve the default or pay the loan off before you can go back to school um, and you know finish your degree if, if you didn't finish or start a new one. 
So the schools were actually given guidance earlier this week about Fresh Start, basically telling them, um, nor, you know, don't deny new federal aid to a borrower you see in default. Here's the action you need to take and you can approve new aid for them and just have them sign this statement. Um, so it's even more automatic for people that might be applying for new like Pell Grants or new loans because they're trying to, uh, you know, finish their degree. Um, so we're, we're still waiting for the Department of Ed to publish additional guidance for borrowers. Uh, so we, what we do know is that there, there's going to be a year, a year from whenever the COVID pause ends is going to be the time frame that defaulted borrowers have to sort of take advantage of this fresh start program. So if you are a defaulted borrower, um, you can try calling your collection agency. Now they may or may not um, be sort of doing a soft open for this, but definitely watch your mail because they will be doing outreach once it is a hundred percent live. And I, I definitely encourage you to take advantage of this. Um, it'll stop future uh, involuntary wage garnishment, tax refund garnishment, social security garnishment. It'll improve your credit. Um, it'll eliminate or reduce collection, future collection costs. So it'll save you money. Um, it's just really a good opportunity for, for borrowers to get back on track. Yes, definitely. And, and Betsy, if it's okay with you, we have so many questions coming in that, um, we might extend a, an extra 10 minutes. Is that, can you stick around? Let's do it. Okay, perfect. Um, great. So uh, here's, you know, two questions that are related. Um, one is, um, is a listener is asking if you can explain why private loans probably wouldn't qualify for forgiveness. Um, and then the other sort of related question is from a borrower who refinanced um, their federal student loans in 2019. Uh, and with SoFi, um, a private lender, and you know, what would happen to them in that situation, if there was some kind of forgiveness. So federal student loans, for the most part, um, is money that is owed to the U.S. taxpayer. Um, and in order, if they were going to forgive private loans, they would actually have to send the money, send actual money to the private lenders, and they don't have the authority to, to, to do that. Um, there also could be... Uh, so. The issue with broad student loan forgiveness has sort of been less about whether he wants to do it and more about whether he has the legal authority to do it. And quite frankly, and, and then another piece to whether or not he has the legal authority to do it, it's almost less about whether he does and more about whether there would be a legal challenge if he did it. Um, so, I mean, there are some things in the past under different administrations that were done under executive order where everyone was pretty clear that they actually didn't have the legal authority to do it, but it was such a good thing. There was no way anyone was ever going to challenge it. Um, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a constitutional scholar. <laughs> I'm staying out of whether he has the legal authority to do it or not. But again, it's less about whether he does and more about whether there would be a legal challenge to it, which would be super messy politically and for consumers and so on. So with that said, if they were, um, if they were to decide to include private loans, they'd actually have to send money to the private lenders. Um, and that's extremely unlikely and even less likely to have actual legal authority to for it. And even more likely there would be a legal challenge. Oftentimes private student loans are securitized and they're, they're considered investments, long-term investments. And by paying the loans down faster, you've harmed 
the investors um, and the people that benefit from these securitizations. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that this is right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just answering the question is why wouldn't it include private? And that's why. Yes. Okay. Oh, and, and I, about, sorry. Yeah. Um, part B. I hate this. This is why I, I almost never recommend that people refinance their federal loans out of the federal student loan program. Doing so is permanent. There is no take backsies. Once the loan is a private loan, it can never be a federal loan again. Um, and it will, it is the fact that it used to be a federal loan is irrelevant as far as any, this broad forgiveness or any of the other uh, benefits that federal student loans have. So I hate, I, I hate being the bearer of bad news. Uh, but there it is. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, sort of relatedly, you, you touched on this a little bit um, before, you know, we were talking about Broadbase. Um, one reader writes in about his, or listener, excuse me, about his son um, who has government loans, but they are held by private institutions. Um, and, you know, sort of what, um, what situation, you know, would they be, do we think they would be in, in under, in debt-based forgiveness and, um, or in broad debt forgiveness? And I, I will say, you know, it can be confusing. There's all these <laughs> different types of federal loans and all these acronyms that go along with them. So I know any clarity you can provide would be great. Yeah, so it is confusing. There's a lot of people, for example, that come to me and say, oh, I have private loans. It turns out they don't. They have federal loans and they're under the old federal family education loan program. Um, so, and those we think could could be included in this broad-based forgiveness. They are included in this PSLF waiver, for example. Uh, they are eligible for income-driven repayment plans. Uh, Perkins, too, fall under that category. Here's the short way to figure out whether you have a federal loan or a true private. Log on to www.studentaid.gov, which I put in the chat panel a minute ago. If the loan shows up there, it's a federal loan. If it doesn't show up there, it's not a federal loan, period. Great. Yeah, that's super helpful. And um, and I know, you know, from when I from talking to borrowers too, as part of my reporting, um, you know, we we hear the same thing. You th maybe you think it's private loan and it's actually federal, um, just because you know the 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 place that you're getting the bills from is maybe it doesn't look like it's the federal government. It's a company, but it's actually a federal loan, so it can be. Yeah, and the, the old Fell program. Uh, which used to make up over 80% of the loans that were made prior to 2010, they used private lender capital. So that's what causes yeah. the confusion. You might have a federal loan and it shows that your lender is Bank of Betsy. Right. Um, so, and that's what causes the confusion. But just because it says Bank of Betsy um, <laughs> doesn't mean that it's a private loan. Yeah. Um, okay. And this is a, here's a question that's, you know, sort of evergreen, not really necessarily related to the news, but is something that borrowers are dealing with all the time. Um, which is how do you manage student loans on social security? Well, it depends what kind of social security you have. If you have social security disability, you could actually be eligible for federal loan discharge. Um, if it, if you have the social security disability status where you only get reviewed every five to seven years, not more frequently than that, then you're potentially eligible for discharge. Um, you can get more information about that again on our website or at www.disabilitydischarge.com. Now I know that's a .com, but that <laughs> actually is the federal site. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
But if you're not um, getting Social Security disability, I recommend that you get on one of the income-driven repayment plans. Um, there's a whole bunch of them. They're all exactly the same, except where they're different. Uh, but they all base your payment off of your adjusted gross income and family size. So if your only income is Social Security, chances are your payment under these income-driven plans is going to be zero. Um, even better, zero. This is sort of like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it. Is did it did it make a sound? Is a zero dollar payment really a payment? Under the income-driven plans, it is. Um, and if you're on an income-driven plan for either 20 or 25 years, depending on your loan type and the plan, they forgive the balance. Even better, there's another waiver coming uh, either this fall or first of the year called the income-driven plan waiver, where they're actually going to give all federal loan borrowers credit towards the income 20-25 year income-driven plan forgiveness for any month that they were in repayment, regardless of what plan they were on. And even in some cases when they were in deferment and forbearance. So we don't have all the details about that yet. What we do know is again on our website or on studentaid.gov. But again, if you're on social security or otherwise have a very low income, the income driven plans are what you should look at. You can get an idea of what your payment will be under all the plans that you're eligible for by going to studentaid.gov and looking for the loan simulator tool, it's awesome. So you just plug in your information once and it spits out what your payment would be under each plan you're eligible for, whether you'd end up getting forgiveness and more importantly, how much they anticipate you would pay out of pocket over time, which is the most important number of the three. Yes, definitely. Um... And okay, and now a question uh, from uh, about a topic that is often in the news um, related to student debt, which is, will there ever be any relaxing of bankruptcy laws? And if so, what would that look like? Also, would it be retroactive? You know, I'm actually kind of surprised we haven't seen it already. There's been appetite um, from policymakers to do that actually since the prior administration. Even I would not have been surprised if it had happened during the prior administration, believe it or not. Um Definitely for private student loans, there's an appetite to potentially relax the bankruptcy rules, but we don't know what it would look like. We don't know if it would be retroactive. We don't know what that relaxation might might look like, but um, it's sort of fallen off the radar a little bit with all, since COVID. So I would encourage anybody within the, the sound of my melodious voice, um, if this is an issue that's important to you, write your member of Congress or your Senator uh, and, and encourage them to, to rethink this. And just in case, you know, another one of the um, broad myths that are out there that's out there about student loans is the fact that student loans are actually eligible for bankruptcy today, both federal and private. It's just not easy. Um, you need to find an attorney that knows student loans if they're a bankruptcy attorney and they tell you right off the bat, student loans are not eligible, find another bankruptcy attorney. Um, and again, it is, it's not easy. You have to file a, a separate hardship petition, uh, depending on the court, there's usually three different prongs you need to meet, but it's not impossible. And I've seen it many times. 
Yes. And I, yeah, I'll echo that. Um, you know, from what Betsy said, it's, it is, it, it's a rumor that it's totally impossible. It's not impossible. Um, it does happen, but you do need to find somebody who, um, not all bankruptcy attorneys are, you know, well, well-versed in student loans. So you need to find somebody who, um, knows, who knows about them. Um, so another question, uh, you know, from a listener, are there any talks about issuing a refund to who to people who have recently paid off their federal student loan? So if there was, you not know, gotta, not going to happen. Not going to no, happen. No discussion. No discussion. Okay. Um, thanks for that. Um, this is, here's uh, a, you know, just a, you can answer very quickly, I think. Um, is parent plus loan private or not? Federal. Federal. Great. Um, and then this is this is something that I actually hear a lot from um, from borrowers when I do my reporting, um, which is, you know, someone a, a listener is saying that his wife qualifies for public service loan forgiveness. Um, but every servicer we contacted is telling her to max out her payments. Who should she talk to? They're telling her to max out her payments. Yeah, that's that's what this person is saying. I, I'm not completely clear about that or why they would be advised that, but they can certainly uh, check out our PSLF page and see if that clears, clears things up. And if it doesn't, they can utilize the Tisla email again, not the Betsy email, or it could get lost uh, the Tisla email um, on the contact page of our site. If they still have questions. Great. Um, and then, the, you know, this is another one about an announcement that came this week um, regarding uh, forgiveness for former students of ITT Tech. Um, the listener is asking if someone qualifies, do they need to contact anyone or is it automatically forgiven? Uh, there's a couple of things we're not sure about. If you have direct loans, federal direct loans, it's going to it's going to happen on its own. What I'm not sure about is if you have Perkins or Fell, whether you might need to consolidate but either way, you should, if you're eligible for this, you should still get a notice um, in the mail about it. And yes, they announced it this week, but I would expect this process to take several months. So if you don't get a notice by tomorrow, don't freak out. Um, you know, give it a couple months. And if you still haven't heard anything and you think you might be eligible by, say, the end of the year, uh, there is a borrower defense webpage within studentaid.gov. Um, and there's the ability to either fill out an application or there's a hotline listed there, and a place to submit a question and all that stuff. Great. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at um, a question from a, a, a listener named Marquise and, um, and it's specific. And since given the amount of, it's specific about PLF and PSLF and given the amount of time that we have left, I would suggest emailing that, um, looking at the FAQ and emailing that TISLA email if it's not um, you know, if it's not clear to you, but they are very helpful and can um, really help you uh, address um, address these situations. Um, hey, Marquise. And I can't emphasize enough, um, absolutely look at our page before you ask your question. Um, I would be, no matter how unique you think your situation is, we've probably seen it, especially yeah. with PSLF. So it might be there right in front of you already. Yes. And I, and I'm looking at the question, um, you know, is related to consolidation. Um, it's definitely something that Betsy has seen before. Um, oh, but it, it, yeah, it's but there. it can be confusing. So definitely check that out. And if you're still confused, um, email her. 
Um, okay, here one, I think this this will be our last one because we gotta we gotta jump. <laughs> but um it's uh it's from a listener who and it's you know it's related to some of the other questions that that we've seen before, but my son will have over four hundred thousand um dollars in student debt when he graduates in four years from medical school. Will there be any debt forgiveness? Uh yikes. Um so it depends. Um it you know PSLF still exists. It's going to exist after the waiver. If your son ends up working for a PSLF eligible employer, um, and depending on what his salary is, he could end up getting forgiveness. Um, but if he ends up working in private practice or for a for-profit arm of a hospital, for example, and or if his income ends up being high where he ends up paying it off under the income-driven plans uh, before forgiveness, then he wouldn't get forgiveness. Here's something I want to remind everybody before we go. The name of the game is not forgiveness. The name of the game is paying the least amount over time. And for some people, that means paying the loans off aggressively. Rather, And for other people, it means actively pursuing a loan forgiveness program. Um, for someone who's going to be a physician, could go either way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes. So uh, just think about how much you you um, want to be paying off over time. Um, and so that is all the time we have. Thank you so much, Betsy, for being here and also for staying um, for a little bit more time because we had so many questions. Uh, Please join us on Monday when Barron's Deputy Editor Ben Levinson and Senior Writer Al Root will discuss the outlook for financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thanks again for joining us. Um, hope you all have a great day. Thank you, everybody. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.